Welcome to the No Meh Movies Podcast. How many times have you heard a movie is alright? It's average. It's just okay. If you ask your friends if you should see it and they say, meh, I'm Davey Barris and he's Darren Cross. And on this show, we'll break down and review these movies and decide once and for all if these meh movies are good or bad. And whether or not you should watch them. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. Now for a movie to qualify as meh, it must be between 40 and 60 on the tomato meter or 4 and 6 on IMDb. And the movie we chose this week in honor of Pixar's Onward coming out in theaters. Story about magic. Story about elves. An animated movie. We decided we had to find our own animated magical movie to do. And we came up with 2015's From the Mind of George Lucas, as the movie posters would say, 2015's animated Strange Magic, which scores a 5.8 on IMDb and 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that segment of the show will be fun. (laughs) Darren, spoiler warning for Strange Magic, spoiler warning, of course, for Strange Magic, and a little spoiler warning for Shakespeare, too, if you've never heard of A Midsummer Night's Dream. We might get into it. Darren, in case it's been a while since they've seen it or they've never seen it before, what is Strange Magic all about? Strange Magic is about some mythical creatures living in a forest. It's a land. It's shared between there's a bog and a forest. <laughs> Good start. So there are these love potions that uh, can be created out of these primrose petals. However, there's only one person, the sugar plum fairy, who can make them. And she is currently being held captive uh, by the, bo- the bog king. I just, every week I think about how (laughs) insane it is to describe some of these movies. Yeah. What happens is that uh, Sonny, who's an individual that lives on the fairy side, sneaks his way into the bog side and gets a petal, Primrose petal, to the Sugar Plum fairy, which upsets the bog king, and um, a lot of shenanigans ensue. All right. <laughs> something, something, like that. something like that. I'll tell you what does ensue. A lot of music ensues. Yes, there's a lot of music. So speaking of that, Darren, the question we ask of all our meh movies is, did the movie do what it was supposed to do? And I can tell you that this movie is listed as an animated musical fantasy film. So, Darren, in your opinion, did the movie do what it was supposed to do? I said sort of for this it certainly is a fantasy there's a lot of like weird creatures who are, which I think are kind of made up and maybe are like bits and pieces of, of creatures you might recognize so they definitely have like the whole fantasy side down it is a musical I guess because there is music but it's like a bunch of covers of popular songs sung in a different style yeah. Sometimes referred to as a jukebox musical. Sure. 
I said it sort of did what it was supposed to do because I wasn't totally sold on the the musical side of it. What do you think? I was in on the musical side of it. All right. I I've been singing Sunny songs all day. So That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so yes, the 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 fairy tale, the the fantasy elements of it kind of work for me because it's like you know these two worlds colliding the one is the good magical world and the one's the bad magical world and so these two things colliding work for me and the music there was a lot of it like there's tons of it. the soundtrack doesn't even do it justice it may be i don't know i don't have a trivia or a stat for this but uh it may be the longest like credit section of music ever in the history <laughs> of movies there's so many songs. There's got to be more singing than there isn't singing in well, this movie. I will tell you at one time they discussed doing it as fully singing, like a... Um, Les Mis. Les Mis. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, kind of pulled back on that a little bit. But I mean, George Lucas likes his music. He wanted to put a lot of music in this and music that he likes. And there's a joke. If you ever see any interviews with him and stuff like that, that it, there was originally a lot of Beatles music that he was going to use. Until he realized how expensive it is to use Beatles music. And he was like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> Even me, George Lucas, who just sold my company to Disney for $4 billion, can't afford <laughs> Beatles music. So and now here's where I'm going to hedge a little bit, just like you. Now, this thing has been compared to or said has been inspired by A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is a Shakespearean story. That's where I'm going to say the movie did not do what it was supposed to do. If if it was trying to claim that it was inspired by that Shakespearean story, there are the tiniest, I mean, basically the love potion and the imp spreading it around yeah. is really the only connection to A Midsummer Night's Dream. A Midsummer Night's Dream is a weird story. Really weird. Mm-hmm. And even the director hedges a little bit in interviews. He'll be like, yeah, it was that, but there were other things. Like Beauty and the Beast is in there a little bit. Uh, the Taming of a sh- Taming of the Shrew was one that I picked up on because anytime you have like an overprotective father and two daughters right. and dating, you're in the Taming of a Shrew, which also is a weird – man, there's some weird Shakespearean stories. Like I, I read the Cliff Notes version of A Midsummer Night's Dream. It is not – a healthy story about relationships <laughs> and and love. It's strange. Yeah. yeah. It's a strange magic. <laughs> so yeah, so what what we saw on screen, I I think the movie did what it was supposed to do as far as like being inspired by Shakespeare, which is always fun to put on your movie poster and yeah. I actually I found a fun review about that that I'll get into later. I wouldn't even consider that. Like I would I would I would have, if I were the marketing company, I would have never even brought that up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's how I feel about it, Darren. Let's talk about this cast because whenever you got an animated movie, you always got a big cast behind it. And this is, uh, you know, from the Wikipedia order, we have Alan Cummings as the Bog King. We have Evan Rachel Wood as Marianne. We have Kristen Chenoweth as the Sugar Plum Fairy. We have Maya Rudolph as Griselda, who is the Bog King's mom. We have Alfred Molina as the Fairy King. We have Elijah Kelly as Sonny. We have Meredith Ann Bull as Dawn, which I can't find another credit for her. Apparently, this is the only thing she's done. Oh, really? Yeah, she doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. There's no link here. Hmm. 
We have Sam Palladio as Roland. We have Bob Einstein as Stuff. You may know him as Super Dave or that tall guy on Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> we have Peter Stormare as Thang, and that pretty much covers pretty much covers who you need to know. So, Darren, with all that, oh, and the director Gary Rydstrom made a uh, cameo as Angry Gus, apparently, mm. a little director cameo in there. So, Darren, with all that, who are you giving your top performer to? I ended up with giving it to Elijah Kelly. Ooh, Sonny. Yes. Uh, I liked his character a lot. He was, you know, he's kind of the underdog, I guess, for a lot of the story. Like, you you, you really are rooting for him because he seems like a nice whatever he is. He's an elf. (laughs) Which I'll get to <laughs> later. <laughs> Seems like a nice elf. He doesn't seem to get the attention from other characters that he wants. And so he's he's a little, you know, so I kind of was rooting for him. And uh, he provides some of the comedic relief, you know, and he's really kind of the catalyst of all of the things that ha- had he not taken the pedal into the bog and found the sugar plum fairy and the whole, you know, so he, yeah, he kind of is the catalyst yeah, for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he did a good job. I think, uh, I don't know how old Elijah Kelly is, but I think he's young, pretty young ish. And I think that kind of was a strength for this. I think any sort of, when you're dealing with like fairies and elves and stuff like that, if you, you expect them to like, I guess it's different when you look at it through like Lord of the Rings, but Normally you expect them to be kind of like, I don't know, like young and naive sort of, or just sort of, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like playing a younger, a younger person playing these kinds of roles fits better than like a, I don't know, more seasoned actor, like a a, a young person, it seems like to me fits well. Um, yeah. So I found him enter- entertaining. Uh, yeah. Elijah Kelly. He was, he was he was funny. He was fun and very energetic throughout the movie, and uh, his songs did get stuck in my head. Like I walked away singing, yeah. whistling Sunny songs all day. Yeah. So yeah, that was a good performance. I agree with that. I'm gonna give my top performer. Oh boy, this is a tough choice. I'm gonna give my top performer to Evan Rachel Wood, who played Marianne. She's got a ton to do, and I, I think she comes through pretty strong in all of it. She's strong when she needs to be strong. She's hurt when she needs to be hurt. Like She really kind of nailed all the full range of emotions that Marianne has to go through in this movie. As someone who, you know, at first was head over heels in love, had her heart broken, became a warrior, you know, built herself back up. And then, you know, someone who then has to, by the end of the movie, open themselves back up to love again. So uh, it's a wide range of things she has to do as Marianne, and it was pretty convincing to me. I got to say, it was uh, it was a pretty good voice performance from her. And she knocks the singing out of the park. She's got pipes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give my top performer to Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah, she did good. I liked it. Now, what I will say, and maybe this will just lead us into successes and failures, but when it comes to an animated movie like this, there's a lot of small parts, right? And we have a lot of 
I mean, I listed them off in the cast there, but we have a lot of you know actors that have smaller parts, and I got to give a big success to all of them. And I'm throwing Kristen Chenoweth in there, Maya Rudolph in there. I'm throwing Alfred Molina was barely in this thing. Um, I'm throwing Bob Einstein in there, and I'm throwing Peter Stormare in there. They were freaking hilarious. Every <laughs> line out of their mouth was perfect. All the singing from Kristen Chenoweth. You want to talk about pipes. She's a Broadway star. Yeah. I love anything that Kristen Chenoweth sings in. Whether it be the TV show Pushing Daisies, if anyone's seen that. Her stints on Glee. Her few episodes she did every season on Glee. Like, I love when she sings. Yeah, she has a great voice. Maya Rudolph played, if you could even, couldn't tell, that old <laughs> Jewish voice was Maya Rudolph. <laughs> and watching, if you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff, watching her do it, into the microphone is really funny. Is it? Yeah. Nice. And then Super Dave, Bob Einstein, and Peter Stormare, they actually recorded together. In the behind-the-scenes stuff, it was the only two people I saw recording together. Mm. Because when you have characters like that where they're like, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, yeah. yeah. you kind of have to do it together. You have to bounce off each other to get that interaction right. And everything he said is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so uh, I'm gonna give a success to just just all the little role players, uh, all the little parts in here. Cool, kind of came yeah. together. I'm on board with that. What do you got for us in successes and failures? I'd put this separately, so I, I agree with the like the specifically the bog characters overall. I don't know if I liked the ancil- ancillary characters from the other side as much. Like they were just like. Like the prince, he has like his little like fairy buds. Oh and, like, yeah, yeah. They're okay. They're they've I don't know. They're all right. Um, but yeah, all like the the bog characters and and I did specifically write in here, uh, Griselda, who's my my Rudolph who plays the mom. Like she was hilarious. Like everything that she said, I was just like it's so funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe they they had to have done this on purpose. They almost make you feel like you'd rather hang out and live in the bog yeah. land than the dark forest than you would in the fairy land. Yeah, like once you get in there, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do a fail that it's too much singing. <laughs> too much. For like the first, I think it, it, it tailed off maybe a little bit as the got into like the second half of the movie or like the last third of the movie maybe. The beginning of the movie, the first third of the movie, there's like a new song like every two minutes, and it was it started to bother me. <laughs> I was like, "It's another song." <laughs> yeah, basically every emotion <laughs> leads to a song. I kind of felt like I. This is what I wrote down is like I kind of think I'm listening to a kids bop album. <laughs> okay. So, this is a perfect time to inject this. So, one of the things I left out of did the movie do what it was supposed to do. George Lucas said, you know, I basically wrote Star Wars for 12-year-old boys. Right. So, I wanted to write something for 12-year-old girls because yeah. he had daughters. Yep. So, when you say kids bop, you're kind of not that far off. Yeah. Like, Yeah. And I didn't, I wasn't a fan of, I, I don't want to say that all animated movies have to have make original music like they don't have to be frozen where it's all like original music to the thing you know darren let it go okay (laughs) just let it go but i wasn't a huge fan of the covers of these songs like i didn't think they were good covers Mm. now i will say that 
in general, I tend to not be a fan of covers. It has to be really, really good for me to be like, all right, I dig it. Usually nine times out of 10, I'm like, just, I just want to hear the original. So these, I wasn't personally a fan of the covers. And so I think that was also part of it for me where it was a lot of music coming at me a lot, especially in the beginning. And that I wasn't necessarily enjoying the covers. It did have that. I, I when I first started watching this, I kind of wondered if this was like, in because of Shrek. Like I feel like after Shrek, yeah. there was this whole. It's still going today. Like the movie Trolls came out like a uh, a few months ago or something like that or a year ago, and it's full of pop music and there's some new songs in it. But it's that like yeah, you have to have like pop music or remakes of oldies. Yeah, kind of through. I feel like Shrek might have launched us down that path. But he says he'd been, you know, working on this idea for 15 years and yeah. he always wanted it to be a musical. Yeah. So, all right. So my question for you is, if this were a Broadway musical, if your wife was like, hey, we're going to go to the theater and see a musical and there was this much music in it, do you think you would feel the same way? Or in that setting, would you be like more prepared going in? Yeah, I think if it was in that setting, it would it would have changed things a little bit. Obviously, going into this, I knew there was going to be music. I guess I just didn't, wasn't prepared for how much and how often. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. I Yeah, another thought I had was, I think this would work on Broadway. Like, I think you could do this story really easily. Yeah, and you, there'd be an opportunity to, to put together some pretty cool sets yeah. because of the bog and all that. And all, yeah. 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 I'm not going to lie, the music kind of works. It's okay. <laughs> we can disagree. I dig. So the other thought I had is that like, if you like the TV show Glee, you're gonna like this movie a little bit because I mean that's what Glee did basically. They took songs from every genre and did this like really like souped up, high energy show choiry type performance with them, and kind of what this movie does like it it cranks the energy up on a lot of songs and then turns the energy down on a few others when it's supposed to be more ominous. But yeah, it definitely like, I mean, was it El- what was the Elvis song? Only fools rush in. Didn't they yeah. like crank that up to be like a fast song? Yeah. 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 yeah so it's, yeah, it's another, the Shrek, Shrekification of it, the gleeification <laughs> of it. Right. <laughs> What's your next successful for you? All right. So I'm going to say really the character motivation behind who Marianne becomes, I'm going to give a success to. So, a lot of times you'll see these characters where like one sister just wants to fall in love and the other sister's just, you know, tough and mean and doesn't want to fall in love. And that's kind of the basis of the Taming of the Shrew, right? And if you're not familiar with the Taming of the Shrew, just think of the movie 10 Things I Hate About You because <laughs> that was inspired, a retelling of a Taming of the Shrew. And the fact that like we kind of see what Marianne goes through, that she was just as whimsical as her sister at the beginning and that heartbreak of knowing that Roland was cheating on her drives her to kind of like fall apart and build herself back together in this new way I kind of like that motivation for the character it wasn't just thrown in there she wasn't just ah the tough chick you know like uh I don't know I'm thinking of like some of the characters from Fast and the Furious or something like that (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I see what you mean. That like she, at first, we're introduced to her as as like this like sappy sort of like love is the only thing I think about sort of character 
and then she becomes this like more like strong independent like i don't need someone else kind of person yeah she even says to her dad that she she'll rule on her own yeah when she comes into the crown yeah yeah yeah. so i like that i like that she had a real arc behind why she was a warrior princess Mm -hmm. i'll switch over to a success i liked the the we'll call it the beauty and the beast message i thought that was success i liked that because you don't i don't think you see that a lot in animated stuff and he was particularly hideous <laughs> <laughs> the bog king yeah yeah and like yeah you and you would just never in your mind you're like they can't be together that's ridiculous she's so beautiful and he's so not and he's According to our trivia, he was designed based on a praying mantis and a cockroach. <laughs> nice. He also seemed much older than her, which they didn't really address, but whatever. It's, it's whatever. You know. I, I think that's the. I, I think in the magical fairy lands, yeah, like fairies like, like live whatever. forever, but yeah. still look like they're you know. Right. She's 12. like she's like five hundred fifty years old or something. Yeah, like probably. That. Yeah. I thought it sent a good message, and especially if this is supposed to. You know, this is supposed to be geared towards twelve-year-old girls. You know, I think that does send a nice message, and I and I do like that they ended up together. All right, right on. So while you're giving success to that, I'm gonna give a fail to the other relationship in this movie <laughs> that we end the movie with, and that's Sunny and Dawn. Now I have no problem that Sunny is in love with Dawn. Like, I get it. <laughs> But he's clearly in the friend zone, right? (laughs) We've all been in the friend zone. Like 95% of the time, that friend zone thing is never going to work out. Like the person has to realize that you're friends for a reason and not something more for a reason and... Maybe you you, sh- you need to start opening yourself up to new possibilities because that person might not choose you. Yeah. And the fact that, like, after the love potion wears off or, or, or his love for her is what, you know, defeats the love potion, but then she realizes that she loves him, it wasn't working for me. Like, yeah. there was nothing at the beginning of the movie that showed that, she may have felt the same way about Sonny and they just, you know, weren't communicating or something like that. Like she clearly saw him as just a friend. Yeah. It did feel like they just did it because of like, Oh, it should end this way. So we're going to make it in this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, and then it was a perfect chance to teach a lesson, you know, to teach a lesson about like, if you're going to be friends, you know, with someone of the opposite sex, like it might not, it's probably not going to work out in the end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a, just an important as an important lesson as the beauty and the beast lesson if you if you're a listener out there and you've made it out of the friend zone tweet at us tell us your story <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's uh that's a fail for me all right that's fair i'll do a fail i don't know if, if this has to do with this singing that made me feel this way or had to do with me because i did not like the singing that much but at times, I was like, this feels like a daytime children's cartoon. 
like I don't I don't want to I don't know what it was about it like something about the per- I don't want to say the production of it but sort of like the some, look of it yeah or... may, maybe the look combined with the music or some of the like very like generic sort of like things that were said or lessons that were put in is like you you don't treat people like like it's like there was a lot of very, uh, that, very direct messaging that I can get behind yeah that I was sort of like I feel like I'm like <laughs> watching like Peppa the Pig or like something like I don't know like it was a lot of like very like direct Le- yeah. lessons being taught they did not use a lot of metaphor they did not use a lot of s- subtlety they just kind of said like here's what you should know right yeah yeah so at times i was just like this is weird i don't know i don't know so that was a fail for me yeah doesn't he say something like she's like i, I she's like i'm different and he's like i i like that <laughs> it's like oh oh that's the lesson okay yeah <laughs> it's okay to be different yeah I guess I mean when you're he's literally admits that he was gearing it towards kids. Yep. So I do not think he put a lot of effort into hiding some of those you know themes that he was going for. Sure. All right, I'm going to All right, so you you mentioned the look briefly. I'm actually going to give a success to the visual look and stylization of the movie. I thought this movie looked fantastic. I could agree with I, that. I think that the creature design was really detailed. And uh, the set design and the forest and the world that they live in was really detailed and really well done. And, you know, you expect nothing less when it comes from Lucasfilm. Like, I I know they haven't done a ton of animated work. If anyone's ever seen the Clone Wars TV show and now Star Wars Rebels and stuff like that, you know that they know how to do animation. And... And the fact that he took 15 years, most of that time, like the first 10 years of that was literally designing the creatures and designing the world that they live in. So I, I think it paid off in the end. I know some people, I think when we get into the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, some people are going to have a problem with the look of the movie. Yeah. For me, it was a success. Cool. I'll do a success also that I liked the uniqueness of all the characters especially the bog characters so it kind of seemed like they they were like just whatever you want to do as long as it's weird we'll take it (laughs) you know what i mean which i'm cool with because it it's sort of like reminded me of you know like in uh the lion king when they teach him about how he's how to eat grubs oh yeah 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 Slimy yet satisfying. Right. So it's it's it reminded me of like, all right, if you picked up this like soggy log and what was underneath it, it would just be this weird combination of all these different things, right? Yeah. And that's like where I think that's what I felt like the bog characters were. Like it's just like this weird combination of like some of them walk on two legs, some walk on four, some have teeth or some have weird eye. You know, it just like it was like a little bit of like everything. Like and there was no two that were the same really. I mean I'm, I'm sure there was, but so yeah, so overall I liked that they all were kind of unique in their own way. Yeah, I'm not sure how the Bog King and his mom are <laughs> biologically <same>. related. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was adopted? I feel like there's a line somewhere where she has a line about his dad or something like that and somewhere in the movie. Uh, something like a spitting image of your father or something Some, like that? Something yeah. like that, yeah. So what the creatures made me think of is, it made me think of Jim Henson. 
and uh, some of the creature work that comes out of his studio. Because like when you see things like, uh, and I know Labyrinth was another inspiration, and I'm sure that, oh, what's the other one that they just did a remake? The, the Dark Crystal. I'm sure that the Dark Crystal, there were probably influences in there too. But like you, when you look at those creature designs, you're right. They're they're all over the place, man. Yeah. Everything is unique. The Muppets, everything is kind of unique. Yeah. And uh, so that I, I kind of feel like he might have been a little inspired there when sure. it came to creature design. I got another success. I'm going to say the uh, the sword fight. And I'll kind of go with the, the action as a whole because there's kind of another action set piece that, you know, where the, the Bog King's castle coming down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really liked the uh, the sword fight. I know they sang through it. It probably <laughs> drove you crazy. But, I, you know, when she... When she, like, first started practicing with the sword, I'm like, okay, she's getting good. Like, we have to see it at some point right and then when they steal her sister she doesn't really get a chance to fight back you know they kind of pin her down before she can yeah and i'm like come on we gotta see it we gotta show off this swordsmanship and we have this really cool like one-on-one duel which i'm sure people were like you know george lucas knows how to do a one-on-one duel with swords (laughs) so yeah i I really enjoyed that scene i thought it was a fun scene and in, in that scene they're both kind of discovering that the person they're fighting is not the person they thought they were right yeah so yeah so i liked i like that scene and then they, it really drives to a final action set piece where his castle crumbles and uh i mean it's it's kind of a fun scene you know sunny is leading a group of magical creatures under a love potion away <laughs> and uh they're trying to get dawn out and yeah it was a it was a fun scene i dig it that's all I got for successes and failures. Me too. What do you say we take a look at what those Rotten Tomatoes critics say this week? 17%. Yeah, 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's take a look and see. Steven Witty from the Newark Star Ledger gets it. He says, his rotten review, I know we're talking about fairy tales here, but why does the king, who resembles a cockroach and talks like a Scot, have a mother who seems to be a slug and talks like a Jewish mother, Joe? <laughs> he gets it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we said, on his father's side. Yeah. Ben Kin- Kingsburg, his run review, said to be inspired by A Midsummer Night's Dream, the film plays more like Avatar scored to a karaoke competition. Oh, <laughs> you don't like it to music. Yeah. I would karaoke some of these songs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I know. <laughs> Only Fools Rush In is a good one. Say Hey, that'd be a fun one to do a karaoke. I would be. Three Little Birds. Nah, don't do that at karaoke. No. No, they, they should be chill Yeah, when you're listening to Three Little Birds. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> felt like Avatar. I, I don't know about that. Yeah. Avatar is more like Pocahontas. It's more like one man journeying into another world and trying to save that world, you know, and resisting his own world. Yeah, I don't know if was he trying to say like the animation was... Because it's in a forest? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Disagree with that one. Raphael Guzman from Newsday says, A noxious cauldron of ingredients that shouldn't have been mixed. Fairies, Shakespeare, and classic rock. (laughs) 
can you do a jukebox fairy tale? Like, <laughs> if it was a little bit less, would you have been fine with it? I think if it was less, it might have been better for me. In Shrek, do the characters sing, or is it just background music? Is it just music that's happening while other things are happening? It's just music happening while other things are happening, yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, it works there. As I mean, that's a fairy tale. Right? Yeah. I don't know. But part of that fairy tale is, part of Shrek, the reason Shrek works is because it's like spoofing things in modern day and then setting them in that fairy tale world. Yeah. So like when he does the WWF scene (laughs) against the King's Knights (laughs) and in the second one they do the cops, you know, thing where they get busted. Yeah. (laughs) So a part of it is putting things from our world in that fairy tale world. Sure. Okay, this one's this one's pretty rough. I think this is the rottenest of rotten reviews from Michael Rechschafen from the Hollywood Reporter. He says a shrill, garish hodgepodge of familiar elements from other animated vehicles, most evidently 2013's Epic. There's virtually nothing about this forced, fractured fairy tale that feels remotely fresh or involving. I think that's the most scathing one I can find. <laughs> It seems he didn't like it. <laughs> no, definitely not. I don't think he stole things from other I mean, from other animated vehicles. He's been working on this for 15 years. Like maybe he saw what was trendy these days, but anyways. Yeah, and there's going to be some I mean, yeah. There's going to be some crossover to some degree. Look at all these animated movies out yeah. there right now. There's yeah. a lot being borrowed and shared and Yeah. Okay, d- did you feel like there was anything fresh? That strange magic brings to the table that you wouldn't find in other movies. I'm going to go back to the thing I said about the the two of them getting together. That seemed unique to me. Again, I think it was like, it felt like there was an age gap. He was particularly hideous. They just seemed like a very much not a match. Uh, one of the other things that I heard some read somewhere was that, you know, in Beauty and the Beast, obviously he turns back into a prince at the end of the movie. Spoiler warning. <laughs> In this, he stays the Bog King. Right. He stays the beast. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It is something fresh. There you yeah. go. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look. There's two fresh reviews on here, and they basically kind of say the same thing. Alan Schurstel of The Village Voice says, The best Lucas film in 25 years. Funny, idiosyncratic, hippy-dippy packed with creatures and visions worth beholding. And our other fresh review comes from Jess Hasinger from AV Club. She says, The movie maintains its own level of oddball invention that at least feels pleasantly removed from the grind of big studio cartoon manufacturing. At times, it's surprisingly messy for a mainstream animated feature. So, so I, don't know, I don't know about his best film in 25 years. <laughs> that might be a stretch. That <laughs> would take us back to 1990. So from the release date. So he's basically saying like, okay, you get the first three and, and you get Indiana Jones. But that whole prequel era, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might. I mean, all right, we could debate the prequels on another on another show. <laughs> yeah. All right, so basically, you know, calling it idiosyncratic and hippy-dippy and uh, the other review calling it an oddball invention, do you think it's strange enough to stand out on its own? Yeah, I thought it was – I think oddball invention is a good way to describe it. 
there was some, it was unique enough that it w- didn't feel like it was just reproducing something that it otherwise has already existed. All right, so there you go. If, you, if you're defending this movie, I guess that's what you're hanging your hat on, right? Yeah. The oddballness of it. All right, Darren, we've reached that point in the show where we have to pitch a sequel. Now, unfortunately, I don't think the studio is going to make a strange magic too. So, it's up to us. Where does this story go? What happens next? It's time for us to pitch a sequel, Strange Magic. I went with the idea that perhaps this world they live in is bigger than these two places. And something comes in that threatens everything. Mm. Both sides. So they've kind of reached a... a Stasis, you know, where they can live. Yeah, yeah. Cohabitate. Be- yeah, because of Marianne and the Bog King getting together, you know, they they kind of found a way to live harmoniously. But then, like a exterior threat comes to, and threatens the whole thing, and so they have to find a way to work together. And it's still like challenging for them to work together because of the long history of it being like us and them kind of thing. But that's sort of the spirit behind the story is like putting aside their differences because they have the same goal of trying to save the place that they live. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I also was curious about the outside world. All right. I love how our brains work because I went slightly different. <laughs> I want them to leave Ooh. and go out and explore that world. So here's my catalyst for it. Where's their mom? Ooh. She's never mentioned, right? Yeah. Dawn and uh, Marianne, their mom is never mentioned. So uh, where's their mom is my question. And basically, uh, you know, maybe their dad doesn't have a great answer for it. And they leave with their respective, you know, with their gang. I I want the Bog King with them. I want Sonny with them. I want that lizard that Sonny rides with them. I want the imp to go with them. You have to have the imp in there. (laughs) We need to talk about the imp, but we'll get to that. (laughs) So, you know, our whole gang that we like kind of, oh, and uh, his henchmen too. We yeah. got to have, uh, what were their names? I don't think, did they have individual names? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, for the Bog King. Uh, Stuff and Thang. We got to get Stuff yeah. and Thang on there, too. So they go out to try to find what happened. You know, was their mom kidnapped? Was she taken? You know, what happened? Where Where did their mom go? And I think there's a couple of lessons that you could really put in here that would be good to learn. Maybe they like want to reunite their mom with their dad. And they kind of learn a lesson about how people grow apart and that it's okay that they grew apart. Maybe her mom doesn't want to come back, you know? Yeah. Maybe whatever the catalyst that drove her out there, um, you know, something important to her and uh, has grown apart from their father. So that would, I mean, super topical in today's culture where a lot of marriages don't end up working. Yeah. So, you know, that'd be a good lesson for 12-year-old kids to learn. Yeah. And uh, and then the other thing is along the journey, watching – I'm going to focus on Marianne and the Bog King because you know how I feel about the other relationship. <laughs> like you said, they have two different approaches to things, right? They have two different styles of doing things, and they're both kind of used to being the alpha. Yeah. So it would be interesting now that they're in a relationship, they have to learn how to work together, and this would be the perfect opportunity to challenge that. So maybe there's some tension there. Of, uh, you know, how they're going to work together. I dig it. Yeah. Where is the fairy mom? That's right. Fairy queen. Fairy queen. Yeah. More serious pitches than we normally uh, do. <laughs> yeah. Nothing sarcastic this week. We got some real story ideas here. <laughs> this has depth. And even more music. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just fully lay Miz. Just sing the whole thing. <laughs> Not the whole thing. I I like that every emotional beat had a song that went with it. I just I really I like that. Darren, it is time for quick picks. It's time for our nitpicks of the movie. It's time for those last little details we gotta pick out. What do you got for me this week in quick picks? Is the fairy king supposed to look like George Lucas? Yes. Is that on purpose? Yes. Okay, I, I I read that. Yeah, they okay. kind of designed it that way. Okay. And what I loved about him is that he was too fat to fly. Yeah. <laughs> you got to imagine if you're a fairy, like one of the perks is being able to fly. And the fact that in your old age, you've let yourself go that much. <laughs> and you could barely get off the ground. Exhausted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. If they are fairies... What are the smaller fairy creatures that fly around them? Are know, they also fairies? Well, baby fairies. <laughs> I feel like the sugar plum fairy at one point called them her like fairyettes. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to know. Like we all know in the world of magical creatures, like some of them I could pick out, like elf, goblin, you know, imp. Like some of them you 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 could name. I had no clue what to call that, those. They do play with size a bit in this movie where like you think a creature is a certain size and then they put it in the perspective of some other stuff and you're like, oh, it's much smaller or much bigger than I thought. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Why does Roland have an Elvis accent? (laughs) (laughs) There is some Southern (laughs) drawl charm. Thank you very much, kind of. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's such a weird choice. I don't know. I don't know. He does sing Mary. He sings that Marianne song very much like Elvis was singing. Yeah. 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 Marianne. <laughs> Come on, Marianne. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's my next question. I got questions about the creatures. I want to understand how this world works. Okay. Here's my question for you. Are elves super powerful? Or are they super small and weak in pop culture? I don't know. I guess in my mind, I always think of elves from Lord of the Rings. Like, right. That's just how that's how they are in my head. So I guess powerful. <laughs> but in other times, they'll be like small and mischievous, and you know, and uh, like. I don't know. I mean, when I Googled elves, of course, like just tons of Christmas movies came up. I almost couldn't even get through it. It was basically Lord of the Rings or Christmas movies. That's all you could find elves in, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, 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 the there's not a consensus on, uh, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with fairies. I mean, there's no hard and fast rules for any of these things, but uh, I don't know. I was sub- I, I thought they were going to be called gnomes. Yeah. That's what, when I first saw the character design of Sunny, I was like, oh. A gnome. And then they're like, an elf. And I'm like, wait, what? Well, since we're on that topic, I was like, wait, no, that's a troll. He has the, did you ever play with trolls when you were a little kid? Oh, oh, okay. He's got this, the pointy hair. Yeah, yeah, comes up and he's got the big, big nose and his ears are kind of big. He's a troll. That is a troll. (laughs) It's not an elf. It's not a. Whatever I went gnome. gnome. I thought gnome. Yeah, they look. Yeah. No, gnomes have beards. He didn't have a beard. <laughs> he needs a beard and a mustache to be a gnome. He had a soul patch. Yeah, I think he did have a soul patch. <laughs> he has I a really very thick thought, coarse arm hair. Yeah, I really thought it was like this is clearly a troll. 
Well, okay, so this is not an insult to Elijah Kelly, who does the voice of Sonny, but for the first 20 minutes, I wasn't sure if Sonny was a boy or a girl. I was actually hoping that Sonny was a girl because then we could have had a relationship that is not re- very represented in mainstream cinema, you know? Yeah. To have a gay relationship would have been an interesting thing to put into this movie. And I was like, I really couldn't figure it out. The voice, his voice is high. His yeah. voice is just really yeah. high. Yeah. And uh, until like like 30 minutes into the movie, someone says him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. Now we know what Sonny is. Okay, he's a boy. A boy troll. <laughs> All right. I, I like this one. This one made me laugh. When the mushrooms started passing secrets to each <laughs> the other. The telephone game. I was like, okay, this is clearly telephone, right? Like, this, this is the only logical place where this joke ends, right? There's no way he gets this message right. What was, what, how did it end up? Do you oh, God, it? I don't remember. <laughs> if you stay till after at the end of the credits, they do one more round of that. Oh, do they? Yeah, they do that. another joke of that. And then he says, it's supposed to be the end, but he gets the message wrong and says something else. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it, that, that made me laugh. That's a good example of the bog being like more fun or friendlier than you expected. Cause like at first, you see the, because you first were introduced to the the mushrooms when Sonny is sneaking in there, right? And they're like kind of like creepy, like peering at him and stuff like that, and like whispering to each other. But then you just like realize they're real goofy, <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is fun. Okay. All right. What else you got on quick picks? What do you think? Do we understand? Did they explain what the thing was made of that was holding the sugar plum fairy captive? Did they ever talk about that, or it was just like something that she just can't get out of? No. Okay. Just um, magical Magic orb cage <laughs> yeah there was something i thought there was going to be some something about a staff because at one point it looked like there was some like an emblem or something there was a, yeah. a gem or something at the top of his staff and at one point it looked like her sword was gonna like break it out and break it apart yeah but it never gets talked about no. it. Yeah. yeah so i think he has i think everybody in this movie has a little bit of magic yeah yeah strange magic yeah yeah Nope, wasn't explained. All right, I'm going to call this a nitpick. Uh, at first, I really thought Maya Rudolph's Griselda, the Bog King's mom, was funny. It got a little much by the end of the movie. Oh, really? You yeah, know. it got a little much for me. Maybe it hit a little too close to home because I have <laughs> a Jewish mother. <laughs> but, like, there is no stopping them. When a Jewish mother puts her mind to something, there is literally no stopping them. And, uh, yeah, it, it got a little much by the end of the movie. <laughs> Although I, I give Maya Rudolph all the credit in the world. She committed to that character hard. <laughs> I don't know why they decided to choose that, like, both Marianne and Roland, like, didn't know they were getting married or, like, getting married. They are supposed to get married, married later that day, right? Yeah. And they're both just, like, hanging out, doing other stuff. Like, it was, I don't know why they set it up like that. Like, I don't know if that was that was intentionally done, but I feel like you could accomplish the same kind of story building with, like, you know, start it with a wedding day or something like that. I don't, I don't, I, it was, it was weird that it was sort of, they're like, because at first, you know, we're introduced to her and she's just like floating around and is all like happy and stuff like that. And then it's like, because I'm getting married today. It's like, oh, well, don't you. 
both have like several things to do. Like, is it, aren't there things to plan? What are you, what are you doing? Go do, go do it. <laughs> and then like maybe you know if they want to show him cheating, like maybe she catches him like you know I don't know before the wedding in like some other room or I don't know I don't know. It just seemed it seemed weird. The setup was weird. That, that was very casually thrown into the movie, the fact that he's making out with another fairy. Like, you think 12-year-old kids are like, yep, cheater, dump him. <laughs> you know, are they are they not like a little traumatized by that? Like, what's happening? Yeah, I don't know. I forget what it's like to be 12. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's, here's a nitpick of mine. They have swords in this movie, but they don't cut anything. Yeah. Like, don't put swords in the movie if you're not going to cut something. <laughs> Slice someone. Stab. Stab, yeah, something. Like, make them staffs. Make them staff both staff fighters or something like that. They could still have a really cool fight. Yeah, look at Donatello. Yeah. Or No, 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 no. Uh, Raphael is cool but rude. Michelangelo, he's a party dude. <laughs> But Donatello's one of the, the staffs, yeah, Donatello's right? Donatello's one of the staff. <laughs> okay. What do they say about Donatello? I forget how the song goes. He's so mellow. <laughs> He's super smart. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of the rhyme in the I opening song. Yeah. Oh, well. Because we're not 12 anymore. Uh, yeah. So that, that, was, that was a big nitpick for me. Slice something in half. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like slice like one of the worms and then let it like grow a new head and keep crawling away. Like That would have been funny. Like slice something. Yeah, or maybe like one of the fairies gets like a part of their wing cut off or something. Ooh, you know? that would have been added some drama, yeah. Then they would have been like Nemo. Mm. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> got anything else for me? That's all of mine. All right, I got one more. One more running joke that I really enjoyed. And it was when Dawn had the love potion on her, and every time she called him Boggy Woggy, and he would correct her, <laughs> Bucking. <laughs> My Boggy Woggy, Bucking. <laughs> even at the end of the movie when like I think the potion wore off she calls him Boggy one more time and he goes Bog <laughs> that was funny actually yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate a joke that just it's always there like it just keeps coming back and it's always there and you just keep you run it the whole time yeah so, but it but it, it not run it into the ground yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah. but it's because it's so quick like yeah. it doesn't have to take away from the scene it could just be Boggy yeah. Bog yeah. It'd be that quick. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that joke. I don't have a lesson this week. <laughs> I don't. There's nothing to, like, look up this week because it's an animated movie. Like, everything's made up. Everything's imaginative. So I can't, like, fact check him on anything. Yeah. I think the lesson is just be careful with your primrose petals. Yeah. Be careful with them. Uh, I, I did find a review from the ShakespeareGeek.com. And he was not too happy that this was called Inspired by a Midsummer Night's Dream. He wanted to be excited. He really did. The way he explains this and the way he said he explained this to his kids is there's basically three ways that a movie can use Shakespeare. And he's not talking about actual movie versions of Shakespeare. He, in his theory is, first are movies that come right out and talk about Shakespeare, use his words like Nomen Juliet is his example. Then there's movies that don't use any of his words but try to tell a modern version of his stories. Ten Things I Hate About You is the classic example here. He said, though my kids don't know that movie yet. 
And then there's movies that just take a single idea that came from Shakespeare and throw the rest away. Thinking that just because they got a boy and a girl whose parents don't like each other, they can call it Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Or just because a king gets killed by his evil brother, you can call it Hamlet with lions. <laughs> Pretty sure is a shot at Lion King. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he says strange magic is in that final group. The only thing in there is the love potion and the fact that they're fairies. And, uh, you know, the fairies become the main characters in this. And the imp... Uh, is also in, in Midsummer Night's Dream. There is a fairy, uh, sometimes mistakenly referred to as Puck. That's not his name. It's something else in the actual story. But he like causes chaos. Like he's giving this potion to everybody. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the imp character, like going around just spreading that love potion around <laughs> and being a little rascally bunny rabbit? I thought it was kind of funny. I guess that I, I liked the fact that there was this character thrown in the mix that like really didn't have an interest on either side and just sort of being a pest to both I mean really to both sides I feel like if you tried really hard you could find some analogy or some lesson where like you know love is chaos and you know and it can't be predicted and it can't like like the fact that he was making random things fall in love with each other is actually how love works. And like, um, you know, the fact that he was running free in the world was a good thing. Like, I feel like there, there might be a theme or a thread that you could pull on there and come up with a lesson. No logic to it. It kind of just happens. Exactly. And so the fact that he's an agent of chaos in the story. Yeah. Implies that that's what love really is. So I feel like, I feel like there's something you could pull there. Yeah. Yeah. Plus he was funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of those things that like was cute, but also terrifying. Yeah. Like it looks razor sharp teeth. And I don't know. <laughs> Darren, we've reached that point in the show where I have to hit you with a little trivia. All right. Want some trivia before we go out? I do. All right. Here we go. Apparently, the sisters Marianne and Dawn were named after two of the four season songs of the same title. One of which, Come On Marianne, was actually sung in the movie. Mm. So there you go. George likes the four seasons. The All the music was like. Stuff you would find on George Lucas's iPod. Right. Okay, I, I love this. This is trivia. George Lucas wrote this film because he wanted to make a fun movie and a musical. <laughs> Apparently that's trivia. I will say, if you go watch interviews he did, like people have asked him, like, oh, do you do you think this movie's gonna do well? You know, is it gonna be the next Star Wars for girls or something like that? And he's like, No, I just kinda wanted to make a fun movie for me. <laughs> something my daughters would like. <laughs> Like, he had zero expectations that this would make money at the box office. He literally did it because it was fun for him. So, yeah, and he was right. Yeah. It made $13.5 million on a budget, 70 to $100 million. Yeah. I, he even said going forward, he like doesn't expect to make another movie that will be like a big box office hit he's from now on he's literally just gonna do things because they're fun to him and because he's george lucas and he can't yeah i mean i guess <laughs> more power to him if you're like if you're not worried about like oh i need to make enough money on this movie to be able to make the next movie then just do whatever the hell you want which is ironic because that's how his career started he literally didn't know if he could make empire strikes back if right. star wars didn't make enough money right yeah oh so this is fun so meredith ann bull who played dawn I think she had some fun quotes about like some of the voice work and stuff like that. And 
they were teaching them some tricks and things you can do to do weird things with your voice. And apparently the story she says is that she saw Peter Stormare, who played Thang, chew an entire pack of gum for recording his voice as Thang. Before he said? No, I think while. I think during. (laughs) Could you imagine like chewing an entire wad of gum, an entire mouth of gum? While you're trying to do your dialogue, just to make it sound unique or different yeah. or interesting, and I guess it's probably something you can do if you're if you're doing the voice of like a weird creature that like is you know is kind of gross, I yeah. guess in a way. Or, yeah, get that chopping, <laughs> going. Yeah, like everything's wet all the time. I apologize of. for that, by the way. If you really hate the sound of a wet voice, so that's what I got for trivia. Now, Darren, we have reached the point in the show. Where we have to decide once and for all, Strange Magic, is it a good movie or is it a bad movie? I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to have a disagreement this week. Oh, interesting. I decided Strange Magic is a bad movie. It mostly came down to the first third of it really threw me. I, I liked the second half of the movie or maybe the yeah i could say the second half second half of the movie a lot more than i liked the first half of the movie the first half of the movie really put a bad taste in my mouth that never quite fully went away it was a lot of singing it was a lot of direct life lessons being told to me so it was like a combination like i said before of like kind of watching like a kids daytime tv show kind of feel like i'm listening to a kids bop album yeah, I know it was, it was just a lot in that first like third or half that I just didn't wasn't able to come back from completely. So, so for me, I, I'm going to put it on the bad bad movie list. Sorry, George Lucas. <laughs> uh, that's no problem. I just I did it for fun, and yeah. you know, I, I made a lot of fun making it. You know, <laughs> it's a pretty decent George Lucas. <laughs> I think I'm actually kind of doing an impression of somebody else I know who does a George Lucas impression. So, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> Anyways, uh, my turn, huh? Yeah. So you say bad movie. I'm going to say it's a good movie. Mm. Now I'll tell you, when we watched the trailer for this, and when I convinced Darren to watch this movie (laughs) for this week, when I saw that trailer, I was like, this looks so freaking weird. Yeah. I have to see it. I have to. (laughs) My curiosity is too peaked. I must see this thing all the way through. And I'm gonna be honest, I I I could have I could have done even more music. I loved <laughs> the music. I I loved the TV show Glee, at least for like the first two or three seasons. Then it whew, gets really bad. But so I, I I like music being injected into the world. Like one of my one of the things I would love in life is if my world would break out into musical song and everybody would know the choreography. Yeah. Probably never going to happen. I would be fine with it, too. It just can't happen every two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, the fact that you could just burst out into song at any point in this in this magical world, I was down with. And the story is simple, but in the lessons of health force. Like, I definitely felt like, okay, we're hitting the nail on the head here. You're opposites who are attracted to each other. What an amazing revelation. But, you know, for a 12-year-old, maybe it is. And... uh 
I I'm excited. One day when I have kids, I will be excited to sit down and show this movie to them, and then to sing these songs in the car for like the you know the next six months. You know, <laughs> there isn't a bad song on this soundtrack. I mean, I give George Lucas credit. He's he's got pretty good taste in music. If you're into the oldies, if you're into yeah. the classic rock yeah. kind of, the only one I wasn't crazy about was Wild Thing. Why they ended on with all those good songs? I mean, Wild Thing's a good song, but like. I'm not ending my love story with Wild Thing. <laughs> well, maybe that's them. Yeah, they're they're unique. They're yeah, different. You know, yeah. that's what they would do. So, okay. yeah, so I, I I had a lot of fun. I Good. really enjoyed this movie. I'm glad I watched it because it was something that I was like, you know, it's it's something that if you're if you understand George Lucas and all, you, you know, you're like, what, what? <laughs> so I'm glad that like I watched it just for the sake of like experiencing it. But yeah. yeah bad all right there we go that's how we stand and that is why we do the show to have opinions to have a conversation and to decide once and for all if these math movies are good and bad speaking of math movies coming up next week we've got another one for you coming out in theaters next week we are gonna take a hard left turn We've done some gritty action stuff before, and uh, Vin Diesel has a new movie coming out. It's the big release next week called Bloodshot. I believe there's some like scientific experiment happens with him. He gets like superpowers and uh, looks pretty gritty. And I believe it's based on a graphic novel. And, uh, of course, we had to go back and do a Vin Diesel sci-fi action movie. Of course. <laughs> Something to perfectly pair after we just did a George Lucas animated children's movie. <laughs> so uh, next week, we're going to be doing 2000s. Man, we're going back to the year 2000. We love that year, apparently. We're doing 2000s sci-fi thriller Pitch Black, which scores a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.1 on IMDb. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Riddick, uh, film series, this is the first. This is the beginning, so it'll be perfect for us to jump in right at the beginning and uh, take a look at a Vin Diesel sci-fi movie. So that is coming up next week. I can tell you it is available on Hulu, I believe with the Showtime plugin or the Showtime edition. I'm sure it's probably available on Amazon with Showtime too. So if you have Showtime out there, or do what I do, get the seven-day free trials and then cancel it after you watch the movie. So watch Pitch Black and come back next week. We can announce, we do want to announce that uh, the season two is going to end at the end of March. So we've got uh, three movies left after this, and we're going to wrap up season two because me and Darren might have a new idea. We might have a new project that we're going to be working on that'll probably be coming your way in the summer. And I can tell you that it's going to continue to be movie-related. Uh, so our, our movie fans out there, stay with us. It's going to be something new and something unique that you've probably never heard from a podcast before. And uh, we'll get more details as me and Darren kind of work through it and work on the idea. But there will be more details coming your way. So Season 2 will be wrapping up at the end of March. And we appreciate everyone that has stuck with us through these two seasons. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for supporting the show. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcasting app you are listening on. You can follow us on Twitter at No Meh Movies. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. 
Thanks for supporting the show, everyone. And the next time your friends ask about a movie, take a stance like me and Darren did here today and tell them if the movie is good or bad. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. All right, Darren, <laughs> we reached that point in the show where we have to decide. Oh, trivia. I forgot trivia. Trivia.